Welcome to Omarche, and today we have Louisa in the room with us. Maybe, like Louisa, can you briefly introduce yourself and tell me about what the future icons do and the concept and idea behind it? Sure. Uh, hi, I'm Louisa Pacifico. I founded Future Icons in 2017. Future Icons is a membership-based business where my clients pay me a small fee and all year round they get me as a business consultant to be able to support their brand, help them build it in the right direction that they want to go through. I pride myself on being a non-exclusive agent as well. And what that means is I'm avidly going out to meet other premium retailers or galleries to entice them to take my client or my member collections on board therefore they've got much more exposure as well as sales opportunities to keep their businesses sustainable on top of this I create showcases throughout the year in a normal year it's at least four however as we all know we're going through a pandemic at the moment so I'm taking opportunities as and when we're able to do showcases so most recently I collaborated with Mayfair Art Weekend for to produce a one-month showcase a selling showcase actually at the Burlington Arcade so we presented as a gallery uh, which is fantastic and we actually did that in September and October 2020 at the Burlington Arcade as well so my client, uh, sorry, my members, they have the opportunity to be in a showcase or I work with them just behind the scenes. It's entirely up to them. It's not mandatory for them to be to do out the shows. I just like to offer opportunities to my clients so they can reach those new audiences. That's really interesting. So I want to wind back to the beginning. Why do you start a future icon? Good question. So... In 2016, I was quite unhappy with my job. I was chief executive of a design and maker charity called Craft Central. And I decided to leave that position because the future of the, the charity was going in a, a direction which uh, wasn't right for me personally. So therefore, I took a step back and I always wanted to be an agent. Have I got experience of being an agent? No. Do I like helping people? Yes. So... Throughout the 16, 17 years of my career, I've, I've been so fortunate to meet these incredible young designers, watch them graduate to becoming world-leading designers in their own right and craftspeople. Craft was quite a dirty word to me back in, you know, 2014, 15 time. I was always working on design events. But when I did take the position of chief executive at Craft Central, my mind was absolutely blown from the talent and skill sets of all these incredible craftspeople behind these little grey doors throughout the 76 studios we had. It was almost like an advent calendar. And I'd go in and some of the boys or men have been there 30 years. You know, they, they trained years ago in Bulgari, but now they're the world's best enameler or they work in horology or their gem setting, whatever it was. I just hadn't had that exposure and I thought this needs to be put on a pedestal. Craft at that time was all about ladies that do finger knitting and it was, you know, quite poor quality hobbyist work. So that was the stuff I'd been exposed to. For me to go, right, no, this has got to change. So essentially I was unhappy. I noticed there was a need to expose this incredible skill set. 
I had the opportunity to take on a number of clients instantly as kind of a beta test year, really. I'd charge half the amount I usually would. And I was quite honest with them. I was like, I don't know where this journey is going to go. All I know is that I've got contacts. I want to help you. I want to put you in uh, a spotlight. Will you come on board with me and see how this will work? Some things will fail, some things will be a success. Yeah, there were both failures and successes in that first two years of Future Icon. But as we grew together, I mean, I, I pride myself on having many of my clients for four years now. Every year they're renewing their memberships with me as we're growing. And as we're doing more showcases, I'm getting invited to take over even more premium venues and work on a, you know, quite a press level. How to expose these incredibly talented craftspeople and in return their businesses are going up and up and up which means we're you know keeping craft alive in this country that's really interesting uh starting point and then like with your background on like craft and before that's like yeah the, the the director so before i head into future icons and like i want to ask about because so many people their ideas of like craftsmanship is probably different from you. And just as you say, like before craftsmanship is probably talking like meanings like DIYs or like knittings and stuff in a little bit more like realistic kind of way. But like right now craftsmanship sort of kind of about like going to like different levels and people have different ideas about it. So what do you think craftsmanship is or means to you? It's process. Okay, I have a member of my books who's a, an animator, and lots of people are like, but that's not craft, that's almost fine art, blah de blah, and I was like, oh, hold up, oh, I'm really so sorry, no um, let me put that on silent, so, with, with Leo Crane, who's my animator, who's on my books, his process is, he takes an idea, and then to build up his animation, he acts his skills are actually hand-painted watercolours or charcoal pictures, which he then digitises to create these short, beautiful animations. And as I said, that is a complete process. Would you traditionally put animation as craft? Probably not, but it is a craft in my opinion. My husband's a software developer. He's constantly mm -hmm. building new products and, you know, developing the company, and that's a craft as well. So... Is it just about throwing pots or uh, creating textile wall hangings? No. To me, anything can be a craft because it's, as I said, it's all about the end result and how you get to that end result. Does oh, that that's really interesting. Yeah, it sort of kind of makes sense. It's sort of kind of like, it's not what I was thinking of craft is, but thank you for like letting me know what your idea of, or ideas of craft is because that's, re that's really interesting because you see like craft can like appear in so many different places. I didn't know like animation can be a type of craft too, if you actually put this like process in it. I think that's really interesting. So back to future icons for a little bit, like what type of artists do you represent? Because we just said that craft like got so many different like ways of expressing it or so many different like sort of kind of like, yeah, how do you, what, what, kind, what type of artists? Right, I have ceramicists, textile artists, which can be uh, digital embroidery, hand embroidery. I've got passamontre makers, which is a type of weaving. I've got traditional weaving uh, on a loom. I've got people hand weaving. 
I've got metal workers who are creating small uh, silver metal objects to framed artworks to jewelry pieces. I have a female blacksmith who will literally take a digger and run over the stainless steel to start creating the forms. I've got woodworkers, they make everything from boxes to cocktail cabinet. I've got the animator on my books as well. I've got paper collage. So for me, I've got a smorgasbord of disciplines under the future icon. And I love that. One of the criteria for me to accept a new member is would me and my husband live with that object or artwork within our home? If the answer is yes, nine times out of 10, I will take that person on board and then support their business throughout the year. And that's really important, actually, because if I'm creating these showcases, I've got to curate them myself. They are very multidisciplinary, but I feel like they work purely because it's an extension of my style then. And, mm -hmm. you know, I can have that metal work against that fine textile work and it all sits beautifully together. That's really interesting. So I want to go back to sort of kind of like the evolution of craftsmanship because we said about before craftsmanship probably is more of like reality we need to use it every single day and that's process and then you talk about like your husband it's an engineer and you think that process is craftsmanship and obviously right now there's a lot of people selling nft like digital artwork that is probably in some way a, a little bit of a craftsmanship so the changes from past to now what do you, do you think the craftsmanship stands for in the future term well, I mean, you've just touched upon the whole NFT scenario. Am I schooled in that? Uh, as in, am I learned about that subject? Not really, but many of my clients have already been asked to create NFTs. So I'm having to educate myself to make sure this is the right platform. I mean, it is a gamble at the moment anyway, but going forward with craftsmanship, it's, it's important that we keep these skill sets alive. We, for too long, have been living in a throwaway society. I'm a big believer in buy well, buy once. Get it repaired, hand it down. Quality always sells. So therefore, it's something that should pass down through generations and look, look after it and love it. And also, likely, the return on investment will go up. And that's why I'm, I do a lot of quality checks. So, yeah, the future is developing these skills with the technologies that are available as well. And it's always a big debate actually between my members and myself because some of them have got six month waiting lists for new words. Oh, wow. But, yeah, oh, it's fantastic at the moment. You know, interiors are big, people are at home, they want to have a nice surrounding. I mean, we're out of lockdown, we'll be in lockdown, who knows what the next year, two years, whatever it is, is gonna be, but we keep People are much more focused on the home at the moment, hence why some of my clients have said, got six months waiting list. I've talked to them about, you know, introducing new processes or gaining help or, you know, slightly batch manufacturing elements. It's a flat no from them. It, for them, for their business, and I have to respect this, it's about them with the, with the piece of clay and then moulding it themselves and creating it and finishing it. They don't even want support at the moment from an intern or anything. So, but I think as we develop this, you know, and technology develops, it, it does go hand in hand. I mean, art and science has always gone hand in hand as well. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what the future is. You know, keep these craft skills alive. 
invest in little but quality and you know stop filling up landfill quite frankly (laughs) (laughs) that's really cool i like your ideas about like the futures of carbonship so for like people who view craftsmanship really differently because a lot of people start to appreciate the craftsmanship and obviously it probably changed how the artists work over time. For now, like what do you think, is there any skill or quality does the artist need in like right now with the life we're, we're living in right now? Patience. Complete and utter patience. I studied design at university myself. It was 3D design production, but our course run alongside the craft course, which was called WMPC, Wood, Metal, Ceramics, Craft. Why am I not designing and making anymore? I don't have the patience my clients have, quite frankly. They're much more skilled in creating objects that take the time. You know, slow craft is a big movement at the moment. Several of my clients are very within that scene and it's something that you are going to trip up on when you're developing your skills you know even the the rule of thumb of once you've done something for 10,000 hours you're a master craftsperson that's complete rubbish it takes decades and decades and I think you drop dead once you stop learning quite frankly but yeah that, that is the one thing that you need but I Actually, throughout this pandemic, I think people have have learned what the idea of patience is and to slow down. We've had to because our world's changed so much. So perhaps we'll get more crafts people out of it because, you know, we're not living in a you know, 25 hour a day society anymore where it was go, 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 go. We've had to sit back and relax a little bit more. So, yeah. Yeah, I like the ideas of patience because it is so hard, but it is so crucial when you are like design art or pretty much everything that like you're you have the work that you need to present to people. You you want people to actually uh, receiving the way that you want to, or it is just really hard because I study myself in women's wear too. Yeah. It's sort of kind of design, and like you know, like it's so competitive out there. I mean, it's. It, it takes time to first up to develop your aesthetic or to develop yourself, understand what, who your client is. And at the same time, pursuing at the same time, pursuing and then waiting for that like moment to come. It is, it is really crucial for craftsmanship to have this kind of like patient. I think it's hard, but I think it is also crucial, a good lesson to learn. It is, and actually you just touched upon something which has been really interesting to me over the last two, two, yeah, say two months. Certainly when I was at the Burlington Arcade, I had a number of ex-Royal College of Art alumni from the fashion side who are now working across the world in-house, and I can't name the brands in case it gets back to them, the very best fashion brands, okay? They specialise in certain skill sets to create, you know, the couture collections. But they, some of them are so dismayed with the fashion industry that they want to go back to basics. And I'm looking through their portfolios and their samples, and I'm like, these are artworks in their own right. A lot of my textile mm-hmm. artists, they've been jobbing textile designers for, long, well, 20 plus years, in fact. Once they sell their sample to a brand, 
the brand owns it, so therefore they can never attribute their name again. What I'm doing is putting these unsung heroes of uh, the fashion world, using their samples, framing them, and getting people to start understanding this is artwork in their own right, guys. You should actually be, uh, and they're getting to attribute their name as well now and being put on a pedestal that they so deserve to be on. Mm, that's really good point to make because I speak to a lot of like designers or like, I mean, just probably a little bit different from craft, but I mean, I speak to a lot of fashion designers and they say like, sometimes they borrow their clothes to some celebrities. They didn't get credit. And this thing is just a little bit like, I mean, it is a little bit sad, but like, but sometimes it is, it takes time for you to get yourself out there. And then like, yeah, I think that's quite interesting. And then like, I think a lot of now more and more like fashion houses start to credit some of their collaborators, for example, like the prints in like Japan or like dyeing the blue dye thing in Japan as well. A little by a little, people start to appreciate like actually all these pieces are actually created by some like creators out there and we need to try to like protect the creators or give credit to them. I think that's like something we should probably look after like because I mean, all the fabric come from somewhere. Like every like embroideries come from somewhere. Not just like one house that can do every single thing. They probably source their material from somewhere. Oh, there's from all over the world. But you know, on the flip side, to play devil's advocate with this, fashion's a big business as we know. And it's an exchange of services, isn't it? Anyway, mm -hmm. I designed this for me, here's your money. And to, to an extent, I think that is fair. However, it would be nice if they are, you know, always putting them on the catwalk at the end of the show and celebrating the people that, you know, have drilled the poles for a jacket to embroider something, to design in the ICAT fabric, which creates a dress or whatever it is. That, that would be a really nice thing to see on, on top of, you know, seeing the beautiful clothes and the beautiful models then have the runway of everybody that's made it happen as well. That really is an intriguing idea because fashion collaborative, like fashion always collaborate with like different brands, different like craft craftsmanships, people like who's doing the of different artists and things. Yeah, it is good to just sort of kind of like credit people and then like understand like sometimes collaboration is not only about the marketing no. things. But it's also about credit people and like bring up and sort of, kind of sustain the living of the craftsmanship in some way, I think. Yeah. But if they did do something like that, then it's educating us more that every last thing around us in our world, from what we're wearing to what we're sitting on, someone's designed that. Someone's made that. Is it been made by hand? Probably not, but it's been made by a machine, but someone's had to have the engineering skills to develop that machine to make that piece, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. We take all of this very much for granted and, you know, with future icons, I'm going back to back to basics and A, ensuring mm. these skill sets are still alive. Without these initial skill sets, you wouldn't be able to create the, the next piece of technology. I mean, Alan Turing, for example, he designed the first computer based on the Jacquard loom. Yeah. You know, Bang. And there's something I have discussed with my husband because he's head of the software engineering for his company. I'd love to get him to work with one of my textile artists that works with those looms as well. 
what that project mm. would be. Who knows? But I just yeah, but it's definitely really exciting to see how like the the merge between tech and the craftsmanship. So, is there any <laughs> like artist we should pay attention to, or is there anything that you think that's really good to look at? all of my members? Obviously, because they all pay the mm. same. However, one of my artists, she's called Elizabeth Ashdown. She is a passamontre weaver. Now, passamontre was actually developed, I believe, in the Huguenots' time, okay? And mm. traditionally, where you'll see passamontre is beautiful edging, say, on a curtain, or when mm. you see the military uniforms and they've got yeah ropes etc coming off that's what patamontre is i spotted her at a studio a couple of years ago and she was doing edging for interior fabrics she wasn't there at the time so i gave her a phone call and i was like i don't know what i'm looking at i've never even heard of patamontre in my life but you weave a few of these together to create artworks and we then place them in the mm. frame and celebrate that and she goes exactly what i want to do anyway so only now we've nailed the framing of it along with her beautiful passamontre pieces and uh, showcasing. She's one of only five in this entire country oh. that can do this. So, oh. yeah, exactly. It's incredible. And also her use of colour. I'm going to use the word obscene because I had never put a bronze and a brown with a lime green and a pink feather and a gold twill into it, but it works. Mm -hmm. so it, it, it's really testing your idea of what colours should work together and you know, again keeping that particular, that particular craft alive I'm all about and now I've got a very monochrome background behind me I love my monochrome but on the flip side I've got a very colourful house as well and I absolutely love colour for I mean I'm not the first person to say this but for years it's been greyish and what I mean by that grey beige white everything's been so super clean and boring and it's like no we've got all the beautiful colours in the world let's celebrate them and um, within the artworks on the walls as well now and uh, someone another member of mine who's doing that is a lady called Judy McKenzie she is in her 60s. This is her second career. She only graduated in 2018 from the Royal College of Art and Ceramics. Oh. But her use of colour and, the, and the, the, the techniques that she's using to create these ceramic vessels, again, it's just mind-blowing as well. So uh, there are a couple of people to look out for, definitely. Wow. I mean... I love that like you sort of can like take one little thing we probably never ever pay attention to like and take it into some different levels and like let people understand like oh wow this is actually something we probably never thought of or maybe take it for granted all the time but it's actually something is out there and you make it into art and just sort of kind of like enhance this like kind of like existence of this thing I think that's really cool and then I think that's really crucial and then yeah so tell me about your vision my vision my vision is to continue to promote craft within the within the art world more importantly there's a lot of craft events and I think they're fabulous and I'm friends called organizers 
But for me, I'm trying to educate the general public to spend the same amount of money as they would on a traditional piece of framed artwork or photography. At the moment, it is starting to get there and it's really helped from the likes of the Annie Arabus textile or retrospective at the Tate Modern, which happened a couple of years ago. I go to the Royal Academy Summer Show each year and more and more there's little bits of ceramics creeping through, there's model making through the, the architecture side of the, a few of my clients have done the Royal Academy shows as well in the past. Mm. So again, we're slowly getting there to educate people. Why did I say yes to work in that Mayfair Art Weekend and the Burlington Arcade? Is That's because traditionally, you know, the end of the arcade is Cork Street, one of the most famous streets in the world for galleries. And I yes. want my clients more within that world to educate the public, but also to gain the sales and the prices they deserve for their artworks. Because people at the moment, they're like, oh, but it's still just a pot. And they're like, it's not just a pot. You don't have many hours have gone into this and then etc. That's that that's my vision. Let, let's keep educating people why they should be preserving, loving, living with craft at the moment. Yeah, I think Louisa, you've done really amazing things. My last question is I need to ask this because, because this is sort of kind of topic of this whole like magazine. Tell me something new, anything's fine. Right, I've been thinking about this. I made a, a note to myself. So, something new. To me, it's collaboration, okay? We've just gone through an extraordinary period in our life. We were going through it still, we're living it. And it's, about, it's been about helping one another to survive this period, look after each other, you know, be it, we're more friendly with the neighbours now, or donating your personal experience and time to helping another to help their business grow and also learn how to pivot. Now, why have I said collaboration? My clients came to me after our drinks reception at the Burlington Arcade and like, Louisa, we've got an idea. We, what we want to do is basically Chinese whispers the game. So my clients will, my woodworker will create something within a set amount of time and set amount of money and then send it blind to my next maker who then will either add to it, chop it up, create something new. They'll send it on to the next one, the next one, etc. Oh. What will this look like? I have no idea. What I am confident about is the people I represent are all very highly skilled in what they do and they're very unique in their approach to their, their craft or art, artworks. And I think collaboration is going to be the next new thing that we're going to see more of. It's always been, oh, look at me, aren't I an amazing mm -hmm. artist? Aren't I an amazing textile party blood? Let's take that away and let's start working formally together. And I'm already starting to think about the brief for this. I mean, this is incredibly early stages at the moment. And also how to show this, how to get the brand recognition. Will there be sellable pieces? I hope they will. But, you know, if we do it as a, not a PR stunt, because my clients are genuinely interested in working with other materials or forging the materials that they're brilliant with, with the other materials that my other clients, um, members are brilliant with. So that's where I see 
uh, that's something that new that's coming out of it. The the, the idea of more co uh, collaboration. I think that is extremely exciting because you see fashion is a lot of collaboration because people see like some fabric as a raw material and now like art or craftsmanship to collaborate i think that is extremely new because it's collaboration on the art piece one art piece but that like, includes so many different people so so many different artists wow i'm really excited to see that actually Will it happen by next year? Possibly. I mean, I'm on and off work at the moment purely because I work six weeks solid every single day from the last showcase. I've got a show coming up in October for London Craft Week. So in between organising and curating that show, I'm giving myself some time. But this is something I'm thinking about when I'm going on a walk or sitting in the park about, right, what is the brief? How... How can it be restricted but unrestrictive? Um, you know what I mean? It's got to be a carefully defined brief, but there isn't too many restrictions, but it works for everybody. And, you know, time scale as well. So, I, yeah, that's where we're at with it at the moment. Sounds great. <laughs> Sounds great. Thank you very much, Lisa, for the talk today. I really enjoyed it. It's a pleasure. Thank you for um, interviewing me.